I want to turn to a passage, Acts chapter 12, where there was a crisis, and there was a crisis in the church due to the government. And I don't know what's coming here, of course, but do uh, you ever read your New Testament and just wish the Lord would just do it again? Especially when you read the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. I praise the Lord for it. But I'm also thankful tonight that no matter what turmoil there is in this world, Brother, there can be a peace that passeth all understanding in our hearts and in our lives. I praise the Lord for that. And I've realized that there is no, you hear me now, there is no panic, no panic in heaven. Hallelujah. We're on the winning side. I appreciate the choir singing that. Well, we're going to look at this passage tonight for a few minutes in Acts chapter 12. And uh, the church was a persecuted church, but it was a preaching church filling Jerusalem with the doctrines of the Word of God. I mean, it was a preaching church. But it was also a praying church. And because it was that, they were a powerful church. I mean, let me tell you, they had learned something about touching heaven in prayer. I want to preach a message tonight I've entitled, Touching Heaven. Brother, they learned how to touch heaven in the New Testament church. And I believe we need to do that too. You know, sometimes I examine my own praying and I think, Lord, how shallow, how surface it is, how sometimes we, we kind of get in a routine. We say certain prayers, you know, and say certain things, and then we say amen and we think we prayed. But brother, I'm telling you, we got to touch heaven. It's too serious not to be able to touch heaven tonight. Amen? Thirty times in the book of Acts, prayer is referencing. Touching, touching heaven personally and public prayer and private prayer, all kinds of prayer. You realize that great day of Pentecost, that great day where 3,000 souls were saved. 3,000 people saved on one day before those Christians came out witnessing they'd been in an upper room in prayer for 10 days. Do you realize that the modern mission movement or the mission movement of God, world evangelism emerged from a prayer meeting in Acts 13? I'm telling you, we need to learn how to touch God. Amen? And if we expect God's power, if I expect it as a preacher, if you expect it, if we expect victories and open doors, our families, our homes, our children, our nation, everything is at stake. And I'm just telling you, brother, we're hindering the devil's work. The church is a hindrance to the devil's work. If it wasn't for God's people across this land, who would be, who would be protesting against abortion and preaching against it? I mean, I mean, who would be doing that? And so the devil knows, he knows that we're a hindrance to him. And the wicked people of this country know that we're a hindrance to him, and they'd like to get rid of us. The hour's late, we've got a lot to get done, and we'll never get it done unless we learn how to touch heaven. The hour is late. I heard about this little boy. His mom and dad had bought a big old grandfather clock. Man, they couldn't hardly wait to hear that thing chime, you know, real loud chime. And they set it up in the, up in the, the den. And that night at 3 o'clock, it struck one time. It struck two times. It struck three times. And it went on striking to it struck about 23 times. And the little boy went running into his mama's bedroom and said, Mama, Mama, wake up. It's later than it's ever been. Can I tell you it's later than it's ever been? It's a late day that we're living in, and I'm telling you, so much is happening, and I'm glad God's in control of it, I'll tell you that. Well, let's begin reading in 
uh, just give you three or four points tonight, and then we'll go to the house. Amen. But I want God to do something in my heart and your heart tonight. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Persecution. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. You remember Peter, James, and John? The three in the inner circle of our Lord Jesus? This was one of those that was James. Killed him with the sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. And they were the days of unleavened bread. In other words, it was Passover time. When he had apprehended him, he put him in prison. And he delivered him into four quaternions of soldiers. I understand that's four groups of four. And they pulled shifts. And two would be chained to the prisoner, Simon Peter, and two would stand guard outside of the gate of the prison. So they was real strict, real strict uh, security on Simon Peter because he was pretty well known to God's people and even to the devil's crowd. So the night, the night that he was put in prison, he's going to die the next day. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but... One of the great buts of the Bible. God butted in. Amen. But therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The problem was there was persecution going on. The problem was that they had got one of the apostles, one of the leaders of the early church. They'd already killed one of them, and they figured that if they put the second one in, they'd kill him. Well, what are you going to do? How are you going to get to him? I mean, what's going to happen? He was behind the steel doors under the authority of the Roman government. I mean, that's some power right there you'd have to break through. But I'm telling you, my friend, there's one door that nobody can ever close, and that is the door of access to the throne of God for the child of God. Brother, let them shut all the doors they want to, but as long as we've got that one open, we got great hope. Amen? Because we can have access to our Heavenly Father. So they had a great problem. And it really looked pretty hopeless. The church had fell out of favor with the whole religious crowd and the government and everybody else about like it has today. So probably a whole lot worse. And God said there's a door open. If you'll come, you can touch heaven. Not only was there a problem that they had, but the prayer that they made. Now... What did they do? What did the church do to try to get Peter out of jail? What did they do? You said, well, preacher, they prayed. Is that all they did? Man, he's going to die in the morning, and all you're going to do is just pray? They couldn't have done anything any better than just pray. They knew that it was hopeless. Now, why did, why did God allow James to die and Peter to live? I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. I wonder if the church learned its lesson when James died with little prayer made for him. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's not. I may be wrong on that. But I know one thing, brother. There was somebody touching heaven for Simon Peter, and God sprung him out of jail. Amen. The seriousness of their prayer, it was intense. The Bible said in the church, what did they do? They made prayer without ceasing of the church and to God for it. It was serious praying. Look up that word, it's intense. Brother, it's a matter of life and death. And I'm telling you, there's a lot at stake today in which we live. Can you imagine the mess they're teaching? 
in our schools. Uh, Brother uh, uh, Jonathan mentioned some the other night. I've heard of more since then. I mean, they've gone crazy. You wonder how can common sense people think like that? They're not common sense people, and you wonder if they don't have a reprobate mind. I mean, how can people think the way they think about our children and our families and all? Well, our relig the religious rights of these people are being challenged. What did they do? Well, they didn't call, on, they didn't call the Humane Society. They didn't petition the shelter for battered prisoners. What they did, my friend, they called on God. And if we don't do that, not just, and I'm talking by myself, listen, I, I tell you, I'll raise my hand and confess that if there's an area of my life I struggle with, it's my time on my face, please. Now, I can pray a prayer. I mean, I can sit at my desk and have my devotions, pray a little prayer, and go on with the rest of the day. But that's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about prayer that touches heaven. We've got to do it, folks. We've got to touch heaven. They wouldn't take no for an answer. I mean, they just seemed like they were just going to pray. They, they weren't going to let Simon Peter die. But the only hope they had was God, and they had to pray to God to get some help. What in the world are they going to do? They were persistent in that prayer. In fact, we're going to find out in just a minute they were having an all-night prayer meeting. There ain't many of them anymore, are they? I remember being in a few of those in cottage prayer meetings and see the Lord work and people saved in the prayer meetings. Amen? But... Uh, Persistence. Heard about this little boy. He wanted to step, didn't want to go to bed, and his mama just forced him into bed. And he said, I, I want to get up. She said, son, you can't get up. He said, but I want to come in there and sit with y'all. You can't come in here. Got quiet a minute. And he said, I want to drink a water. She said, you're not getting any water. In a minute, he said, mama, mama, I, I want a drink of water. She said, son, if you ask me for a drink of water again, I'm going to come in there and whip you. With a little trembling voice, he said, Mama, would you bring me a glass of water? And when you, when, I mean, would you, when you come to whip me, would you bring me a glass of water? <laughs> Amen. That's persistence. Amen. I like that. I know that's disobedience, but I kind of like the spirit of it. Not only serious praying, but the source of the prayer. Do you see who was praying? The Bible said prayer was made without ceasing of who? Oh, Roberts Jr. in the prayer tower out in the Tulsa. Oh, I'm sorry. Robert Tilton, of course, you've got to send him $1,000 so he can bribe God. Bunch of scumbags. I just degraded scums, what I did. Charlatans. The Bible said the source was the church. And it wasn't one or two, though God can hear the prayer of one. Amen. When you go down to verse 12, you find out this. And when Simon Peter, of course, he broke out of jail, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many, many were gathered together praying. And I believe I can show you in the last verse of chapter 11, in the first verse of chapter 13, or I'm sorry, the end of chapter 12, that Paul and, Sil uh, Paul and Barnabas was probably in that prayer meeting. But anyway, it was, they, was, they were praying, brother, and it was the church that was praying. And the sovereignty of the prayer is they just won't talk to themselves, brother. They were talking to the God, the creator of this world. The one who could speak and worlds came into existence. I mean, had power. I mean, power to create the world. 
the power to save a soul, and they knew he had the power to protect Simon Peter. You know, to be a saved sinner is a wonderful thing. One of the great privileges a sinner has that the God who's running the whole universe and dealing with people on every continent and every country of the world will incline his ear to a used to be an old hell-bound sinner who got saved by his grace. I don't understand that, but I sure do praise him for it. But then, what was the subject of their prayer? They were praying without ceasing the church unto God for Him. Now, they, this, this was a particular prayer meeting. They weren't praying all over the world. They weren't praying for Aunt Sue and Uncle, Ma, uh, Uncle, Uncle John's liver. And I, I Listen, if my liver gets bad, I want you all to pray for me. Amen? It wasn't general prayer. It was specific prayer. You ever heard anybody pray, Lord... Uh, 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 heal all the sick and, and save all the lost. I used to be critical of that, and I quit doing it. I said, thank God, at least they're praying. Amen. <laughs> Probably not a specific prayer, but at least they're praying. But they focused in like a laser. I have, I've seen more prayers answered when you got specific. You know, we pray such general prayers. If God answered it, we wouldn't even know it. But brother, if you say save, what you save everybody in Stokes County, that's not a bad prayer. That's right. Of course, y'all want to pray for South County, but anyway. But that's a good prayer. But brother, when you pray for Uncle Tom, who's a devil, who's going to go to hell, and you beg God and he saves Uncle Tom, you know God did that. We've got to pray specific. So we see that there was a problem. We see that there was... Uh, a real issue here with him being in jail. We see now the power of God. Man, alive. Sixteen soldiers they took to take care of Peter. They didn't want him getting out. They wanted that, that, that king wanted him dead because it pleased the Jews and he was a man pleaser. And you know what you find him doing on the eve of his uh, execution? Look at it in verse number six. When Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping. You're getting ready to get your head cut off the next morning, Peter. What are you doing sleeping? He was resting in Jesus. Because God had already promised him that he was going to grow old. You remember that back in John 21? So he figured, hey, they can't kill me. And he went on to sleep between two of those soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers, the other two outside the door. And behold, the angel of the Lord came unto him and a light shined in the prison. And he was sleeping so soundly that the angel had to give him an uppercut and smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And, of course, he's wiping sleep out of his eyes, and he don't kind of, you know, don't worry that hardly. And his chains fell off from his hands, and the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, had to tell him get his clothes, bind on thy sandals, and so he did. And he said unto him, Listen, don't forget your garment here, cast it about thee, and follow me. And he went out. And when he got outside, he thought all of a sudden the angel disappeared. He thought, Man, I've seen a vision. Man, I don't know, this must have been a dream or something. And then he realized, God got me out of jail. Wonder how that happened. Even though you had the power of Rome, compared to the power of God, it's like a light bulb compared to the sun. 
Brother, let me tell you, God has power if we would avail ourselves. You find Simon Peter trusting, the church travailing, and touching heaven in his behalf. And I don't believe, per and I'm not against eating donuts. I love donuts. I, I ate one this morning in a little fellowship hall, the church I was at. They had a donut, and so I had to get me one of them before I went to Sunday school. Amen. I like donuts. But you know, there comes a time when it's not about let's go pray so we can pray 15 minutes and fellowship two hours. You know, maybe, and I, I'm, listen, I'm not against that. Thank God for people to pray five minutes. But I don't believe that's the kind of prayer these folks were praying. They were, they were, on, they were, and you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find out that their prayer meeting was much like our prayer meetings. Most of it was in unbelief. You say, well, I'll tell you one thing, brother. God won't, won't answer any prayer that's got any unbelief in it. Well, he won't ever answer another prayer then. Because there's nobody, let me tell you, there's nobody got perfect faith that I've ever met. Maybe you do. If you do, come introduce yourself. I'd like to get to know you. Because when God answered their prayer, they were astonished. It's amazing, isn't it? Look at the product of their prayer, and I'll be through here in just a little bit. The angel broke him out of jail. Look at verse 11. And Peter was come to himself. He said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel. The Lord did this. And hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And he thought, I know, I know why God was so gracious to do that. Because God's people have been praying for me. He knew right where to go because the church met down at Mary's house. And that's, they were having a prayer meeting that night. Look at him. When he had considered the thing... He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, Mark, John Mark, where many were gathered together praying. He knew right where to go. And the Bible said when he got there, in verse 13, he knocked at the door of the gate. Not the door of the house, the door of the gate. Now in many countries, it's customary to build your house with your door, windows, and all that, but then build a gate around it. A lot of countries I've been in over the years, that's the way they have their homes for security. They don't have security systems, most of them, like we have today even. But so they had a gate around it. And old Simon Peter, now he's just been broke out of jail. What do you think is going to be happening as soon as they find out about that? They're going to be looking for him. He's going to have an all-points bulletin put out on him. And buddy, the king is going to be mad as a hornet. And I'll guarantee you, buddy, that those officials were trying to do everything they could to find him. And he was broke out of jail, and they were looking for him. And here he is. He's out in the street. I, don't, I know they didn't have electric lights and out, outdoor lighting, but they may have had a torch or two burning in the streets. And here he comes. And then I can just see now wild dogs in the street. A lot of wild dogs in that time. And they started barking, buddy. And old Simon's probably, shh, hush, dogs, hush. Good night, you're going to draw attention to me, and they're going to get me, and he's standing out there under a street light, and he, man, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden, you see homes around there, lights popping on. Because when there's noise, and by the way, this was after bedtime, because they had to wake Peter up. He'd already gone to bed. Little, you could see little Venetian blinds. And little old ladies looking to see what was them dogs was a-barking at. And old Simon was trying to get them quiet, so he made it to the gate where the church was at, saw the lights on, knew they were having a prayer meeting, knocked on the door of the gate, 
rattled the gate, and the Bible said there was a young lady, and I'm, when I get to heaven, I'm going to I'm gonna find, find her. I, I'm going to say, I, I made, I'm, I'm going to make a bet. I bet you were a junior high girl when that happened. Because she acts just like one, which is not bad. Peter knocked, verse 13, at the door of the gate, and a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. We call her Rosa today. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened the gate up and let him off the street. Wait a minute, I didn't read that right. Let me read it, reread it. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. She was so happy to see. That's why I think she was a junior high girl. She was so excited to see Simon Peter, she didn't even turn the latch to let him in off the street. She went flying into the prayer meeting. Now I visualize stuff, and I've always done it. I've always done it. Visualize a story of the Bible. I try to picture what it must have looked like and what must have happened. Use a little sanctified imagination. I can see her flying back into that house. She swings the door up. Now, there, what, what are they doing in there? This is serious praying. It's life and death praying. This is not messing around kind of praying. And brother, they probably got women in one room and men in another and young people in another and all over the house. You can hear the groans of God's people trying to touch heaven for Simon Peter. And they didn't know it, but they'd already touched it. And God had already answered their prayer. And little old Rhoda went flying in to tell them. I can see her swinging the door so hard, the doorknob went right through the sheetrock. And some old deacon coming to her and said, Rhoda, Rhoda, shh, shh, what in the world, what in the world are you doing? You're going to mess up the prayer meeting here. Don't you realize the seriousness of this thing with Simon Peter in prison? She said, yeah, I know that. She said, he's out there at the gate. Honey, I know that you're disturbed just like the rest of us are. And you just, you just are emotional and you don't know what you're talking about. Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but they did tell her this. You're crazy. You look at it, uses the word mad, M-A-D. You're mad. You, listen, some, you, listen, you broke under the pressure. We're all about to break under this pressure. Because if he can get James and he can get Peter and get the rest of us, well, she done messed up the prayer meeting now. Women off their knees coming in there. What are you doing? Boy, I bet her mom and daddy, I bet Rhoda's mom and daddy rebuked her good. I'm telling you, he's at the gate. So finally, they decided, well, she, she done messed up. Might as well go. Verse 16, what's Peter doing? Verse 16, Peter's continued knocking, wouldn't you? Trying to get off the street. Dogs are barking. Little old ladies looking at him through Venetian blinds. When they had opened the door and saw him, they said, we knew God was going to do it. Hey, we prayed in faith. Thank you, Lord. We knew it. Didn't doubt you for a minute. That's not true. They were, you know, there's some, I, I'm glad for all the Bible, every word in it, and I believe every word in it. But I'm glad God put that one in there. Because it helps me a little bit in my praying. To know that my faith may not be perfect, but I've got a God of grace and a God of mercy that can hear an imperfect prayer. <clears throat> Touching heaven. And they touched heaven, and when they got out there, they were carrying on so loud, he's trying to stop them, get them quiet. But he beckoned unto them with his hand to hold their peace. Declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out. I'm telling you, they couldn't have done anything any better than pray. 
You say, preacher, I pray, but I feel sometimes hypocritical praying. I feel hypocritical a lot of times praying. And these folks didn't have faith, and God heard their prayer. Now, I'm sure they had some faith, and there may have been a few had more faith. But brother, let me tell you, we got to get back to this thing of touching heaven on behalf of people. Lost souls, they're in a bondage. They're in the prison house of sin, and they can't break themselves out. I remember when I got saved on my birthday when I was 22 years old. God called me to preach a year later, and we hauled off to Winston-Salem and went over here to Piedmont. Wouldn't send my cat over there now. In fact, if he was there after service, I'd go rescue him. You said, somebody might tell him you said that. I don't care. Somebody ought to say something. Anyway, a lot of churches still supporting them. But we've got we to get, I believe, I believe one of the missing ingredients is, is, is intercessory prayer and touching heaven for lost people. I don't know if I've told this here. Let's see if I've got time. I do. I don't know if I've told this here or not. And if I have, you please forgive me. I, I pre, you know, you preach so many places, you can't remember everything you've said. I keep a record of my sermons, but not my illustrations. I was in Newcastle, Virginia a number of years ago, preaching a revival meeting. And a lady came to me before the service one night. On, in fact, it was Monday night. It was going through Friday. And uh, she said, Miss Mayo, and the reason I remember this, think about it today, her grands, this lady's grandson, it's been 20 years ago probably, this lady's grandson called me this week. Ken Mayo, I said, Ken, I hadn't heard from you in a long time. I, I said, I know your mama, your grandmama can't be living now, is she? she said, he said, no, she's not. We're not talking about his grandmama, we're talking about his great-grandmama. And when I got to the church that night, his, his grandmama came to me and said, uh, said, preacher, would you pray for my mama? And I said, yes, ma'am, I will. And she said, uh, my, my mama is 90, and I forgot, 75, somewhere, 95 years old, and she's going to die and go to hell, and she just bursted out crying. By the way, that's something to cry about. She said, Preacher, would you, would you pray that my mama will be saved? And she said, Now, Brother Brown is going to be taking you to the house to witness to my mama because for the last 10 years, every revival we've ever had, he takes the evangelist over to the house to witness to mama, but she's never been saved. And I knew some of the preachers they'd had, and boy, they had some wonderful men of God. And I said, I'll pray on one condition. I don't know why I said that. I usually don't say that. I said, you go to Brother Brown and ask him to get the whole church praying. Now, I'm going to tell you, the next night, in the, and he got up in the service and pray, challenged the whole church. That thing almost turned from a revival meeting to a soul-winning endeavor for that one woman. In the prayer meetings before the service, men would start praying and break down weeping. And they were praying for Miss Craft, the elderly lady who was lost. Preacher, on, on Tuesday night of the service, i never forget it. He said, John, lead us in prayer. Your church of about 100 people. He said, lead us in prayer. And the old boy started trembling. He stood up. I'll never forget what he said. He said, Lord, I don't know what to pray except for Miss Craft. I mean, people were crying in the service over this lost woman. And I thought, boy, I believe God's going to do something. The church has got serious about this thing. They were, touching, they were touching heaven for this elderly lady. 
And I'll never forget as the week went on, Thursday night came, and Brother Brown said, Brother Baker said, I'm going to take you by and see Miss Craft in the morning. We'll stop and get a biscuit. That was a wonderful thing. I can't help it. I was born hungry and I never got over it. But anyway, <laughs> he said, we're going to go by there and I'll let you witness. Now, Brother Brown had no emotion much about him. He, he would have made a good funeral home director. Amen? Very stoic, very... And I'm not putting off on funeral home directors. But anyway. So he, he took me by there and we walked, knocked on the door, had a screen door on it, summertime or warm weather. Come on in, she said, by herself. Her daughter worked, and hus her, her, the daughter's husband worked. She lived with them. And I walked in there, and there was a lady sitting in there. I tell you what, I've never seen. I tell you, she could have she been used for a picture of the Nazi war camp. She was so skinny. She was the skinniest woman. I mean, little old peaky-looking thing, 90-some years old, sitting on a couch, warm weather, door, door open, and yet she was wrapped up in a, in a blanket. And we went inside, and here's how he did it. Hey, Miss Craft, how you doing? I'm, I, I took her head, all right. He said, I brought Brother Baker. He's preaching for us. He's going to witness to you. Go ahead and witness to a preacher. Man, alive, how, how do you do? A little tight, a little tight. You don't need a whole lot of tight, but a little tight. And I, I'll never forget that day I, I walked in and I thought, Lord, I've got to break, break the ice with this lady. And then I saw it. A can of sweet Laura Lord snuff. Sitting right beside of her because she'd already used it because it was running down both sides of her mouth. And her little old mouth was chock full. And I'll never forget picking up that can. And I said, Miss Craft, I said, this is the brand my mama used to dip. She smiled, you know. And I just started talking to her, and I, it went too pretty quick to the cross. And I witnessed that woman, and she was sitting there. I mean, I thought she was just soaking every word in. Uh-huh, yeah. She was just, uh-huh, grinning with anything and everything I said. I said, man, this is, God's people been praying. Man, I tell you, this is going to be easy. And I finally got to the part I took her to Luke 16, about hell. And I said, Miss Craft, you don't want to go to hell, do you? She said, uh-huh. I said, you want, wait a minute, I didn't have the snuff, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said, Miss Craft, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Uh-huh, that's smiling. And a thought came to my mind, I said, she's not hearing a word I'm saying. I decided I'd see if she could hear me if I talked louder, and I did it about like I'm going to do right now. Now, I'm kneeling right at her feet. She's on this couch. I'm kneeling right at her feet. My Bible. I said, Miss Craft. And when I did, that little skinny woman came up off that couch, stretched herself out, grabbed her heart, <laughs> started breathing heavy, and I thought I'd killed her. The whole church I hate me before because she didn't get saved. She died. I killed her. I'm serious. I'm not, listen, I'm not exaggerating this thing. Now, I'll be quick and cut a long story short. I said, Miss Craft, you're all right. And then I started talking loud, but she was used to it now. I said, Miss Craft, I said, have you, have you been hearing what I've been saying? 
And I said it real loud. She said, no, but I'm sure it was good. <laughs> I said, Miss Craft, you hadn't heard anything I've said to you. And she said, no, but I appreciate you coming. She, and then she, she volunteered this. She said, the preacher had been bringing preachers over here for a long time. And I'm sure they had good stuff to say, but I couldn't understand them. I couldn't hear them. Now, let me tell you, I'm not a smart guy. Why did God bring that to my mind when all these great preachers, that church had some good preachers in there that went to see her, and it never came to their mind? I'm going to tell you the difference. God's people were touching heaven that week for that lost woman whose daughter had a burden for her. And I just happened to be there to get the blessings. I said, Miss Craft, can I repeat what I've already said? I can't get the snuff out of my mouth. I'm sorry. That was not intentional right there. I said, uh, I said, Miss Craft, can I repeat what I've said? She said, I wish you would, preacher. I said, and I went through the whole thing. I mean, I preached it from the Garden of Eden all the way to the hell and the cross and Jesus. And I got through and I said, Miss Craft, would you like to be saved? Tears started coming down her cheek. She said, I've always wanted to be. I just didn't understand how. I said, do you understand? As I was talking to her, giving her the gospel, I kept getting her to repeat some of it back. She said, I do understand. I want to be saved. That lady bowed her head, snuffing all. I don't believe God ever saw that stuff, y'all. And she bowed her head, and she trusted Jesus Christ. I started crying. She was crying. And I looked over there, and old stiff brown Rafford was crying. <laughs> Probably first time that ever happened. But anyway... We rejoiced and left. That night at church, I was standing down at the front. In walked Miss May, the daughter. She saw me, her, light, her eyes lit up like flames. She started coming. Now, back then, I was slim. I know y'all can't believe that. I had brown hair, slim. And uh, she started coming, and she was, uh, how do I say that? She was thick. Thick, that's a good word. She was coming down the aisle, and it was kind of a sloped, and she got faster the closer she got to me. And I thought, Lord, she's going to run me over. She was the world. I knew she knew about her mama because she was all smile. She came and she grabbed, honestly, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, she almost lifted me off the floor. And I said, Miss Mayo, Miss Mayo, I said, your mama got saved. She said, oh, please. She started squalling. That's Eastern North Carolina for crying. And she said, he, she said, preacher mom. I said, yes, she told you when you got home. She said, no, she didn't. I said, well, how would you know she got saved? She said, she, when my husband got home, Carl, she said, Carl, I want you to put me on the car and take me somewhere. Where you want to go, mama? Anywhere. I mean, not anywhere. said, I'll tell you, just get me on the car. And they didn't know what she wanted to do. And so she didn't weigh about 90 pounds, picked her up and went and put her in the car and the wife, Miss Mayo, her, her daughter and son-in-law, she said, and she called out a family member. They took her over to a family member's house. That's when they had those roll-down windows. She said, now go in and get everybody. I don't feel like going in. Tell them to come to the car. All the, all the children, everybody, everybody. And they would come to the car. She rolled that window down, and she said, I know y'all been thinking I was going to hell. She said, I was on my way to hell, but not no longer. She said, I got saved today. 
Oh, they all got to squalling, hugging, crying. In a few minutes, she said, that's enough, that's enough. She said, I want you to, and she went to three different family members, rolled a window down, had them all to come out there to testify she'd gotten saved. Now, let me tell you, there was a church that got serious about it. And they focused in on one woman. And they touched heaven for Miss Craft. And Miss Craft, by the grace of God, got saved. I remember the night, the watch night service. And I give God the glory that God broke my heart for my two brothers. I had just started pastoring. I was 26 years old. And I remember that watch night service. I was so broken over my two brothers, older than me. I fell at the altar. And I said, God, I can't leave here. Do you give me assurance you're going to see my brother saved? And I'll do everything I can. I've been witnessing to him. And that night, God let me touch heaven in behalf of my two brothers. And before the year was out, both of them had come to know Jesus. That's been a long time ago, and they're still in church, still serving the Lord, and I praise God for that. You know, there's a lot of marriages, may not be yours, may be your daughter's, or your grandson's marriage is on the rocks. You know what, you know what they need more than anything? Well, I'll tell you, I'll give them a little money and help them out. Maybe they'll take a little pressure. What they need is they need somebody to touch heaven for them. You got a wayward grandchild, God bless your heart. You know what our you know what they need? They need somebody to touch heaven. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut this short so I can stop. But you know, it don't take there was a I believe in corporate prayer, I believe in private prayer. One day, late in the afternoon, I believe it was, a courier came to a king of Israel, of Judah, I believe it was, Hezekiah. And he had a letter. He said, I got a letter here, king, and I knew you'd want to have it immediately. And it was a letter from old Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians. You're talking about wicked. ISIS, that we've known just in the past few years, was Sunday school kids compared to that crowd. They were evil, vile, wicked, cruel, barbaric. And he opened that letter, and the king of Sennacherib was making fun of the God of heaven. And he said, I've conquered all these other countries, and every one of them had their gods, but it didn't stop me. And Hezekiah, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And by the way, he was closer than they realized. He said, I'm going to wipe you out. Now, Hezekiah knew what was going to happen. He knew that many of the women would be raped on the spot. Women and children would be taken from their home, and every man would be killed. And they would be tortured right on the spot. What are you going to do, Hezekiah? Well, you got any sense at all, you get your army out. It ain't nothing compared to what they got. Well, let's see if we can't do that. What are we going to do? Maybe we can call the United Nations and they'll try to talk some sense into old Sennacherib. Can't do that. Wouldn't do any good if I did. He said, there's only one thing to do. Now, this is my words. I've got to touch heaven for our people, our nation, our, our city, city of Jerusalem. And you know what he did? He sent word to Isaiah. Meet me, and I believe they met at the temple. I know, I know Hezekiah went to the temple, and he took that letter with him. I picture this in my mind. In the Bible, of course, it was in scrolls, not like an envelope, but a scroll. The Bible said he put it on the altar and rolled it out. 
as if to say, God, I got a letter that I need you to read real quick. As if God didn't already know what was in the letter. Amen. But I like he rolled it out. He rolled that letter out and he told God what was in it. And he said, he's made fun of you and he's blasphemed you. And he's a nothing compared to you. You're my great God. And that night, Hezekiah, maybe Isaiah was with him, but that night, he touched heaven on behalf of that city. A courier the next morning came and said, I got news. What is it, son? 185,000 Assyrian soldiers not far on the edge of town, 185,000, and probably Hezekiah probably thought, oh, mercy, they came through. He said, they're all dead as a doornail. Now, that's, by, that's Roger's translation right there. They're all dead because he touched heaven. Can I give you, I got time for one quick illustration, preacher? Okay. I'll, I'll tell it another time. I don't, I don't have time, really. Your family and my family need somebody to touch heaven for them. Marriages, our own marriage, others' marriages. I know we pray for our pastor, but do we really touch heaven in his behalf? Do we touch heaven for our church, for our community? God knows if we don't touch heaven for our nation, we won't have it long. And just think about it. You say, well, I'm old. I'm going to be going to heaven for long. Don't you care about your children and grandchildren? And your little great-grandchildren? I'm going to go see one of my little great, your newest great-grandchildren tomorrow. Little old baby, little bitty thing. And I think, oh, God, what are they going to grow up in? How are they going to be treated as the people of God? Let me tell you, the church has fallen out of favor in America. It's been doing it. Why not tonight, I'm going to ask you to do something. Why not tonight commit yourself to at least put forth effort? And I promise you, I'm, I've already told God I'm going to do the same, same thing. Let's put forth some effort not to allow one day go by. I said, I know we may fail, but put some effort in not to allow one day go by until you have touched heaven for somebody or our nation or whatever God puts on your heart. Just keep on praying till the light breaks through. Just keep on praying. God, He'll answer you. He'll keep His promise. His word is true. Just keep on praying till the light breaks through. Let's bow our heads in prayer.